Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. church. We'll be continuing our master class this Sunday. And I also want you to know, if you didn't know already, it's summer. Uh, we're here. We made it. Uh, school's out. But, you know, as we move into summer, I, I really felt led to, um, to get our mind and hearts into the mode of summer. I want to I read you a poem about summer. And so this is what I want you to do. As I read this poem, I want you to um, go with the imagery as it talks about things of summer and all the details. I want you to, in your mind, go there too. I want you to picture these things and how you've experienced these things in your life. So let me read this poem to you. It says, in golden rays, the summer blooms, a tapestry of vibrant hues. The sun, a fiery ball on high, illuminates the cerulean sky. The meadows dance with flowers fair. Their fragrant scents perfume the air. Beneath the shade of leafy trees, we find respite, our hearts at ease. The ocean waves a gentle song, inviting us to join along. Beneath the sun's warm, tender kiss, the frolic in the sea's abyss. The sand, a canvas for our feet, we leave imprints in its heat. With laughter's echo, joyous sound, our spirits soar, unbounded and unbound. Imagine as I was reading that, you could picture that warm sand on your feet. You could almost hear the ocean in the distance. You could feel through past experiences in your life, everything that was written there. You're like, man, I really connect with this poet. This poet understands summer uh, to me. And maybe you're like, maybe I know who this poet is. Let me show you a picture of the poet. Um, So artificial intelligence wrote that poem. Uh, We take that off before we frighten the children. Um, Artificial intelligence wrote that poem. What I mean by that, if if you've been under a rock a little bit, you know that artificial intelligence is growing. It's growing the capabilities. It's growing the access we have as normal individuals. And there's many programs where you can go and access artificial intelligence. If you've ever been on a chat uh, with AT&T or any kind of company, you've, you've talked to artificial intelligence before, but there's these new things where you can give it prompts. It's almost like the only way I can explain it is like if you have thousands of research assistants, you give them a prompt and they come back with information or uh, anything you ask for really. So you could ask, hey, write a letter to my brother thanking him for coming to my birthday party. It will write that for you and then you say, hey, be nicer when you write it and it'll change and make it nicer. It can do pretty much anything you 
you want it to do on this level. I could even put in there, write a sermon about Romans 6 and make it 35 minutes in two to three minutes on each section. It will do that. It won't be very good, but it will do that. Or you could put in it, write a poem about summer. And what it'll do is write that. And he gave me one poem. It was really long. And I was like, make it more concise. So it shortened it down. And then I said, hey, make it more flowery. And then it did that as well. And this is what you got. You got a poem directed by me, written by AI. But here's the interesting thing. Artificial intelligence knows nothing of what it feels like to have warm sand in your feet. It knows nothing of the sound of the ocean coming in and out. It knows nothing of a warm sun against your skin. All it knows is the information that it searched resources to find. It researched what poems were when I asked for a poem. It looked up different structures and how to make that into a poem. And it looked up different things about summer and took those details and put it into this poem. It knows nothing about a cerulean sky. It just knows that it's one of the crayons in Crayola. But here's the thing. AI cannot do anything that it doesn't learn from humans that have experienced these things. AI is just pulling from our formation, but all it's pulling for itself is information. AI knows nothing of a warm sand unless what we tell it. It knows nothing of summer unless what we tell it. And I, I tell you all that because the same is true of God. The world knows nothing of the power and presence of God unless what we tell it as the people of God. Because we are the one experiencing what it means to be alive to God. We are the ones experiencing what it means to be in his presence. We're the one experiencing what it means to be formed by him. So in the end, our greatest apologetic, our greatest defense of God, our greatest story of God is us being deeply formed by God and letting the world see it. I love what the missiologist Leslie Newbegin says, live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. That we live in such a way in the world when people see what God's done in our life and how he's formed us, that is making people ask questions about our life and say, why is Jacob this way? Why is he treating me like this? Why is he caring for me? And the answer is the gospel. That we live in such a way where God... God changes us, informs us because we are alive to him. And the world looks back and says, this is something different. The way that he, the, as us, as the people of God are in the world is different. And I want to know more. And hopefully what I, I think you'll see in Romans 6 today is that God desperately wants to meet us where we are and begin to form us and move us past information of who he is and see formation of who he is and how he's changing us and that the world can see God through that change. So if you're with me, turn to Romans chapter 6, and we'll talk about what it means to be formed in Christ, and hopefully we can do this before the robots take over. So this is Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. This is what the Word of God says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? It, Paul loves doing this, uh, this style of oratory, asking a question, then answering his own question. Uh, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. 
We are those who have died to sin. I just want you to hear this language. In the same way we were listening to the poem by AI and we we're trying to picture the imagery, listen to how God is talking to us through Paul as the instrument of using somebody who is being changed by God. God is speaking through him. And listen to this imagery he gives us, that those who have died to sin, how can they live to it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Or your translation may say, walk in the newness of life. And I like the way that gives a picture to us even better than live a new life. But we we were dead and now we live again. But the the idea of walking in this newness of life, because it gives us two pictures there. That when you walk in this newness of life, that means we're here on earth. It is our new way of being in the world. We are new creation and we have this new way of being here. We existed on earth in one way, but now that we've moved from death to life, we're in the world in a different way. So it gives you this idea of walking in the world, but also gives you this idea of forward progress. That our new life should be this idea of walking in this newness, existing in it, being changed by it, that we cannot stay the same. Look at this. For if we've been united with him, and this idea of being united with him, united with Christ, is used over 200 times in the New Testament. This picture that God wants us to see, that we have been united with everything who Christ is. We've been united with his life and his death and his resurrection. And because of that, we have that power and we exist in the power of Christ. We've been fully united with him in his death. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified. And I want us to sit in that language for a second to know that as we become followers of Christ, the old person that we used to be has been put to death on the cross with Jesus. That the old person we used to be has literally been crucified with Christ. And we'll see what that means in its entirety in a second. With him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And if you hear me say anything today that is followers of Christ, you are no longer slaves to sin. You are no longer slaves to sin. That person who was a slave, who was in in capture, that was enchained to sin, that person is dead when you become a follower of Christ. Does that mean you don't struggle with sin anymore? Absolutely not. But what it means is the power that sin had over you is gone. Because when we think about sin, sin is not just an action is the way we normally think about it. Sin, as the Bible describes it, is a power. It is an authority over us. And when Jesus died and we become followers of Christ, that authority that sin had on us has been removed. Look at this as we continue on. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death longer, no has any mastery over him. Death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, the life that we've been united to, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That we... As followers of Christ, we are now dead to sin. That we are dead to the power of sin. We are dead to the authority of sin. But now, now, we are alive to God. This idea of being alive to God, that once we are alive to God, we can never be the same. 
that your life cannot look anything like it did before you became a follower of Christ. You have been drastically changed. In fact, you have been born again. This language seems so odd in our present day of being born again, but it's mentioned in John chapter 3, 1 John, all of 1 John, and 1 Peter, this idea that we have been made a new creation, a new person, a new way of being in the world where before we lived as Adam lived, because Adam's name literally means humanity, and humanity lived in death and sin, but Jesus is the new Adam, the new humanity, the new creation we are. We are new men and women in Christ Jesus, and once we've been a made alive to God, we will never be the same. And what that means is we are alive to who God is, where we knew information about God. Now we can know formation about God. That he begins to start changing us in this moment, that being with God is not just something that is an extent of knowledge. It is an extent of transformation, not just information, transformation. As if you went and purchased a home that needed to be renovated God has purchased your heart and begins to do the renovation in this moment of transferring from death to life, that he wants to do this renovation in our heart. When I was 14 years old, I was on a playground with my friend. We weren't playing on the playground. It was just nighttime. We hung out there in the neighborhood in Jackson, Mississippi. And my friend grew up in church. I didn't grow up in church. And I remember him telling me, he was like, hey, man, uh, the Bible says if your right hand keeps sinning, you have to cut it off. And I didn't grow up in church at all. I was like, dude, you better cut my hands off. I don't know what's going on here. And he was like, no, no, no. What it means is I can't be friends with somebody who's not a Christian. And I was like, okay. Uh, what do I need to do? He's like, you just need to pray this prayer. So I got down on my knees and I prayed a prayer right there in that playground. And I got up from repeating what he had to say. And I was like, well, now what? He said, well, now you're not going to hell. I was like, well, do I get a card that I can carry around or something that says get out of hell? free and he was like no that's it and really for me that that was it and when I say that was it if you would have asked me if I was a Christian my words had changed the information about God had changed I would have said yeah I'm a Christian but between 14 and 24 there was no formation in my life I was not alive to God my words had changed but if anything I was, Jesus wasn't the king of my life Jacob was primarily the king of his life and all I did was toil and work to try to find things that could form me, whether it be drugs, alcohol, relationships, you name it. I was in it because I was trying to find hope in something. And I had done the Jesus thing by changing my words, but I had never been alive to God. It wasn't until I was in my mid-20s till I fell to my knees and I couldn't go another day. And I truly met Jesus and I was alive to him. I was awakened to him for the first time. Then I truly started to see who God was and he started to change me. And for all of us in this room, your story may not be exactly like mine, but we all have that process of God coming into our life and is our journey of faith. And what I want to talk about with you today of what are, what are those stages of faith, the stages of being alive to God and what does it look like in our life and how do we move forward in it? So I want, I want you to see this this map, and it really is just a map. It's a tool for us to use to see where we are in our process of becoming like Christ, this process of becoming whole again. And, and what I want you to know is like, this is not a perfect tool. Really, it's a conglomeration of a bunch of different stage theories about faith that I've kind of worked and put together. And I think it's, it's helpful for me and maybe it'll be helpful for you as well that when we look through this, we'll find ourselves somewhere in this stage of faith. 
And as you look right here, you see that this, this first part is the, the part before we become a new believer of being uh, living in death, living in the old way, the old Adam. And if you're living in that place, you probably feel, and I, I've heard this so many times counseling and sitting with people, I feel fractured. I feel like I'm in multiple pieces. Well, the process from this moment forward of what God wants to do is make us whole again. That he wants to move us from death, from fracture, from brokenness, from lostness, to found, to being renovated, to move forward. But what I want you to see is wherever we find ourselves on this, I want you to know this, that the gospel gives you permission to be where you are, but freedom to move forward to who God wants you to be in him. That wherever you find yourself on this map, in this tool, is that God says 100% through the gospel, you have permission to, it's okay to be where you are. This is where we're all at our certain place in our journey, and that's okay. But if you read anything from the holistic picture of Romans 6, it says, you have been freed. You now have freedom to be alive to God and freedom to move forward into who he wants you to be. You have permission to be here, but you also have freedom to move forward. In fact, that's what God has planned for you is to move forward towards wholeness. So let's look at this chart. The first stage in this chart is the beginning stage. So when I made a decision that morning to finally follow Jesus and God met me and I was, became alive to him, I began the beginning stage. I became a new follower of Christ. And in this stage, it's almost like uh, picture being in a dark room and then someone turns the lights on. What is your immediate reaction? You can't see, you know that there's light present, you can barely make out the things in the room. This is the beginning stage. As God said in Genesis 1, he said, let there be light in this, this moment of following Christ, this new birth. You can see light for the first time, but it's blinding. You're starting to make things out. This is the new part of following God. And here are some of the characteristics of being in the beginning stage. You're passionate. When I first became a believer, I was so passionate. I didn't know anything at all. I went to Goodwill, bought every Christian book known to man, went home and just started devouring them. And I was like, let me read the Bible. That seems not right. This seems, oh, this seems like it lines up with what scripture said. And I just started reading. I was so hungry. I was passionate. I was hungry and I was curious. I wanted to know more. I had so many questions. And in the beginning stage, this is, these are the characteristics of a new believer. You're hungry. But just like a new puppy that you get that's very hungry, it doesn't know when to stop or what to eat. It eats everything and consumes all things. So if you are in this stage, the passion, God put that there so you would want more, so you'd want more of him and start wanting to learn the information about who God is. But it's also, you have to be very careful in this time because people are so passionate and hungry, they can be fed all sorts of lies as well. All sorts of bad theology, all sorts of bad direction, but you're curious. And the thing about the beginning stage is in that you want to be able to feed. That's why we have a new followers class here. So people that have started the stage, we can get them that type of information. That's why we want to get them in a group quickly so they can have that place to be fed with that passion and drive down. So but when you're in the beginning stages, you're passionate, you're hungry and curious. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. You're a new believer and you're passionate, hungry and curious. But the next thing I want you to see is that the process of being formed in the image of Christ takes place primarily at the points of our unlikeliness, unlikeness to Christ's image. 
that as we're in this beginning stage, when God starts to do this forming work in us, as we begin to see him more clearly and be alive to him, the place where the work's going to be done, which it is work that is why Jesus says count the cost is going to cost us something that we meet him in. And the place he starts doing the work the most is our place that we're most unlike him. I remember being a new believer and God revealing so many things in my heart where I was I was, so, I was so thankful to be saved, but then I remember the work he started doing to me. It was like, this is, this is hard. This is hard work to start processing through those things. And as, if you look back at the chart, as you get to the end of the beginning stage, you see what I call a fence here. You call a fence, and what I mean by a fence is a barrier that keeps you from going to another portion of whatever it's protecting you from. But for us as believers, you see a fence after the beginning stage, but there's really, it could be no fence here, a fence here. And what they are, a fence is this. A fence is an inward barrier, something in our heart that's a barrier to spiritual growth and forward movement. So picture this. Picture I give you 100 acres of land. I was like, all of these acres is yours. And you're riding your ATVs on it. You're having a good time. You're, and you come up to this fence and you're like, man. It doesn't seem like 100 acres. It seems like 10 acres, and, but it must be the 100 acres. And then you just live and you're living in these 10 acres. And you never stop to think, maybe this, what is this fence for? Is, it, is there more acreage out there? And a lot of you may be in this room that you became a new believer, became a follower, and you're just living in the 10 acres because there's a fence, a barrier to your spiritual growth there. But what God wants us to do is come up towards this fence, come up to this barrier and deal with it. And what I mean by deal with it is remove the fence because the fence is there for a reason, but the fence is meant to be removed to let you go to the rest of the acreage. So you're like, well, Jacob, what, is, or what are these spiritual barriers? Look, here's, here's some examples of fences. One of them could be unforgiveness. So you're a new believer and you're processing through what it means to who you are, who God is, and you're, you're ready for this growth stage, but there's a fence because you have unforgiveness in your heart. I don't mean you being unforgiven. I mean you not forgiving others that you have bitterness in your heart. And these are just examples. These aren't all the fences that could be there. These are just some examples that you need to let go and forgive. That you're letting someone else of something they did to you keep you from growing spiritually. The other one could be this, past pain. Things in your life you've never really dealt with, but now that God has turned on the lights of your heart and given you new eyes and you're looking inward and you see there's some things that you need to deal with. Whether it be Pain from your family growing up, whether it be uh, relationships, whatever it is, past pain in your life, this fence could be a barrier for you growing and going to the next stage. Or it may simply be this, sin in your life that you need to deal with. Sin that is present, that you're no longer a slave to, but it's still present. When I, because I was living such a crazy life, when I became a follower of Christ, I was immediately freed from sin, but those things were still present around me. And God had to do some work to reveal the things in my heart, the sin that needed to be removed. And I love this quote from Tim Keller, and I'm not going to unpack it fully, but it says, not all addiction is sin, but all sin is addiction. Because the thing that we're sinning in our life, the sin that we're so drawn to is something that we're addicted to because we think it's going to give something to us. When we know from Romans 6 that all it's going to give us is death and God wants to remove that from us. But God's the one who's going to reveal those things in your heart, reveal these possible fences in our life. And then once we get through this fence, 
we go to the growing stage. And remember, I said this is not linear. It could be you move to the growing stage, you move to the next stage. And really our spiritual formation looks more like a chart that's with a lot of ups and downs, just with an upward incline. But I think this is helpful as we move forward. And what we see in the growing stage is this. Here's the characteristics of the growing stage. Changing. That we're changing as a person. We're, there's so many new things about us that God's doing inside of us. And many of it we don't understand. Really, a lot of times spiritual formation lines up with how humans are formed. That we get to this adolescent stage kind of where your body is changing, your mind's changing. You have a lot of questions. You don't understand what's going on, but you're growing. You have the, the same thing is happening in your spiritual growth. You're growing and you know something's changing and you're not quite sure what it is, but you're willing to go with it because you know God is alive doing it in you. And then your relational health starts to increase in this stage. What I mean by that is because God is awakening to himself and what he's like, and he's changing you into his likeness, you begin to be more intentional with relationships. This relationship between my wife and me is not all about me, between me and my kids, whatever relationship, these start to increase because God is growing you and changing you and making you more intentional. And then you have new patterns in your life. You start to build these new habits and practices as a new believer, as a new creation. You start doing these things differently. Like in the beginning stage, you may be reading the Bible and praying, but in the growing stage where God is really starting to get in and form you is when you start to ingrain these habits and they become true parts of who you are, that you don't exist without getting up and reading the Bible, that prayer is part of just who you are. So then you move from the growing stage to the producing stage. So just like a, you plant a seed, it's the beginning stage. You see the seeds start to grow. It moves into the growth stage where you start to see some foliage on it. Then you move to the producing stage to where you start to see the fruit. And here's the characteristics of the producing stage. You start to see the fruit. You start to see the spiritual fruit, the fruit of the spirit. You start to see more joy in your life. Others start to see joy in your life. You start to see more patience. You're, the change becomes real and you start to see actual fruit, fruit that can be manifested. And then you moved in to start seeing emotional health in your life where you had relational health before. Now you're moving into a place where you are producing and the fruit that you're producing gives you a place of emotional health. And what I mean by that is a place where we all are uh, encompassed by emotions. We start to see these emotions through a biblical lens. We begin to process our emotions through a biblical lens and processing them in a healthier way than we did before Christ and even in earlier stages of our maturing. And then generosity, we start moving into a place of being more generous. And I do mean with our resources, we start to see our resources differently to say, God gave me these. I see these um, in a different way to where I know that every dollar that's in my hand was given to me by the father above that handed me. So I need to look and see where I can move these resources to build the kingdom, but not just of our financial resources, but our time. We start to see our time differently. How can I serve others? How can I um, do? Because the producing stage is called producing because you're a doer. You want to do things because God is compelling you through your heart to be more generous with your time and resources. Um, then you get to a wall. Now, like fences, a wall may come before you get, uh, may come in the middle part of the stage. It may be walls along the way and it may just be one wall and no fences, everybody's story is different, but a wall, the difference from a fence is this. They're deeply ingrained, we go back, deeply ingrained barriers in our hearts that hinder our growth in holiness and require more than one person to scale. Here's the thing about fences. When you come to a fence, you see a fence and you want to process through it and you want to get through to the other side. But G.K. Chesterton has this uh, principle of fences. He says, never remove a fence until you know why it was there. 
because you don't know what that thing is holding back. So when you process offense, if it's pain that you need to work through, you work through it, you understand why it was there and you hold on and you remember and you grow from it. So you move through the fences in this way. And then sometimes you hit a wall, which is a thicker barrier. And think about offenses, you may be able to get through your fences by yourself. A wall, it takes more than one person. It takes a community. You need to be processing these walls that you come to. And it may be your wall, may be the same thing that you started as a fence and you're just getting deeper into it and processing some past pain or whatever it is or getting deeper into removing sin from your life. But you need more than one person to help you scale it or demolish it. Because sometimes walls, you need to make a door through it, move back and knowing that some are just so destructive and they, you just need to remove it and need to demolish it and you need people to do that. That's why in this stage, in all the stages, community is important. But as you're processing through these things, you need to do this with a counselor. You need to do this with a community group leader. You need to do this with other people that can help you process through these walls. And as you move through the wall, you move to the multiplying stage. One more thing about the wall really quick. It may happen here in the middle, in middle life. I was reading something recently. It says um, our midlife, a midlife crisis has been written about more than almost any other stage of faith, but yet it surprises every person when they get there. Uh, it's like, oh, what is this? What are these feelings? What is this normal thing? And maybe your wall is here in your mid-spiritual or midlife. But then we move to the multiplying stage. And the multiplying stage, the characteristics is this leadership. Because God has done so much forming in you, He's, you see the aliveness in him and you've moved from as God turned on the lights in the room and you see yourself more clearly, you see God more clearly. In this stage, you begin to see others more clearly and you, God is using you to lead others because you're in a healthy place to do it now as you're processing through that. Now, can you lead in other stages? Yes, but this is where the most healthy leaders come from in this multiplying stage because they see their life as selfless. Because the first three phrases I've heard it said is, getting my life together, this last stage is giving my life away. And then you find contentment. You find more contentment than you had before because you see things more clearly than you did before. As you're processing through all of these stages, you begin to see yourself more clearly. You begin to see others more clearly and God begins to see you more clearly and he begins to make you whole. So this whole process of stage of faith is really the process of God making us whole again. Making you alive to him and making you whole again. Let me, let me end by showing you a couple of verses at the end of Romans 6. He says, do not offer yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. So as we talk about these, uh, these stages of faith, think about it like this for a second. All of us in this room, everybody watching online is, if we're instruments of either wickedness or righteousness, that we are the instrument and with our life, we're playing a song and it's a song of wickedness or a song of righteousness. So picture you give your kid a recorder, which I did. Every one of your kids have a recorder now that they're taking home with them. They're going to play in the car on the way home. Now you picture you give it to them and they learn a song and they start playing the song and it's like, you know, I think I heard a note of the real song and that kind of sounded... But that's what when we begin to play the song of righteousness as an instrument, we start to play it and it doesn't sound really like the song. But when you heard your kid play that song for the first time and you heard it, that almost sounded like it. You're so proud of them. 
because they're practicing, they're meeting, they're meeting the song of what they're going to sing, and then it gets better and better. And that's the story of our stages of faith, that we're playing the song of righteousness. It may not sound great at the beginning, but God is so proud of us, and he wants to meet us in that and help us play this song of righteousness. Because if you go forward in Romans in 22, it says, But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves to God, and the benefit that you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What I want you to see here is just the beautiful truth that sin leads to death, but this movement towards life leads to holiness. Where the Lord is our shepherd and he's the one guiding us forward. But I also want you to see this, that death is a wage, it's earned. But life in God is a gift given. So as we come to the end of these, talking about the stages of faith, what I, what I want you to remember this is wherever you found yourself, God gives you permission to be where you are. But he also gives you freedom to move forward. Freedom to move forward into his likeness. Freedom to be more open to the idea of who God is and what he wants to do in your life and let him meet you in the work. To let him meet you in the fences that you need to deal with, that God wants to lead you up to that fence. And you know what he said in his word? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he wants to walk with you and help you process those fences. And he wants to help you get through the wall. Because in the end, what Jesus wants for us, what Jesus wants for you is to make you whole. So if you heard me say anything today, I want you to hear this. If you are a follower of Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. It no longer has the authority that it once did over you. You are free. Now you may still struggle with it, but it does not have the power. Instead, you have the power of the resurrection in you. So the next time you come to that temptation, you come to that sin, remind yourself, I have the power of the resurrection that was given to me, not by anything I did because the wages that I deserve is death, but instead the gift of God for me is eternal life. And eternal life does not start when we die. It starts now and God starts doing in that work until the day where we see him. So you are no longer slaves to sin. You are no longer slaves to the past hurt in your life. You can process through it with God, but you are not slave to that any longer. In fact, just hear this truth. You are free. And you are free to be like God, to be alive in God. And at the end of the day, our greatest apologetic, our greatest defense of who God is, greatest storytelling evangelism of the gospel is us being changed by him. And I pray that God from this moment forward can help us move forward into that change, into that health, into that likeness, into that wholeness. I'm going to ask God to do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your gift, your free gift of eternal life, Lord. And we are also grateful that we, you are alive to us now. We are, our hearts have been awakened to who you are and you want to move us through, Lord, in the stages of faith, Lord, that we, wherever we are today, Lord, I pray that you meet us there. 
And if there's anybody here, Lord, that has not taken that step from death to life to begin the process, Lord, to the process of knowing themselves in the light of who you are, Lord, I pray that they would do that today. And if there's anybody here, that Lord, that is stuck up against the fence, Lord, give them the strength from the power of your spirit, Lord. Let the people around them help them work through it, Lord. If there's anybody against the wall, Lord, I'm there with you, Lord. Lord, we've all had fences and walls in our life, Lord, that let them know that they are not alone. And move us all to a place where we can look more like you in the world so people ask the question, how are you this way? And our answer is only the Lord. And we ask this in the holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.